0: Tomodari got to kick to me radio da 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 da. got to kick to me radio da 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 da. Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of Geek to Me Radio. Today we are joined by composer Nora Krall Rosenbaum talking all about her work, scoring Don't Look Deeper on Quibi. Then we'll be talking with actor Neil Hopkins about his work as sportsmaster in Stargirl on the DC Universe and the CW. All that and more, stand by. And I'm so glad you've found geek me Radio, whether you're a longtime listener or a brand new listener. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm your host, James Enstall. We have a full show, two guests to get to, so let's dive right in. Right now, we're joined by Grammy-winning composer Nora Krall-Rosenbaum talking about the latest project, Don't Look Deeper, which is on Quibi as of July 27th. Nora, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you
0: doing? Doing very well. Doing well. Thanks uh, for the time today. I'm always excited to talk to composers because as someone who used to play pit orchestra in the musicals in high school, I feel the uh, the orchestral team never gets a, a good enough rep out there to get I their agree. story heard.
1: <laughs> what, what did you play in the pit?
0: I started out in the violin, but then my uh, director said I sounded too much like Jack Benny, so he switched me to upright bass. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> And it's always fun talking because the music really drives a, a project. Uh, if you, if I've said before, if you put whatever you're watching on mute, and don't hear the music behind it, it takes so much drama out of the scene. It adds, uh, it takes the suspense away. So, getting into composing, what was your first experience being moved by a piece?
1: Wow. What a big question. You know, I don't really know what my very first experience is. I can't remember an instance of music not being a part of my life, being a part of my soundtrack. I think this idea that uh, music only lived on a screen uh, was never a part of my experience because I grew up in a house that was filled with music. Uh, filled, my, both my parents are amateur musicians and there's always live music going on. Um, I remember waking up on a, on Saturday mornings With live music going on in my house. So music has always been kind of a soundtrack in my life. And so I can't pinpoint one piece, but I can tell you that it's definitely an important part of expressing who I am. And I think for a lot of people, you know, I think people experience music as soundtracks when they run, when they exercise, when they drive in the car. And I think we're very accustomed to what life feels like with music playing.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in New York, so talk about being surrounded by music. I mean, other I, when I think of music, I think of either Nashville, New Orleans, but New York's music scene. Uh, it's such an eclectic mix. You can go to different plays, d- different shows. There's always music in the background, is my experience with New York.
1: There's always music everywhere. I grew up in a lot of different places, actually. I was born in New York and lived in a lot of different places, and um, yeah, I it, it's it's—listen— there's music in places where you'd never expect it. And I find the more that the longer I live and the more I travel too, which is hard to do these days in a pandemic, but I think there's music everywhere. Um, I think that absolutely though, New York city is a place that is just, you know, it's in every corner, it's in every pore of who it is as a city. And, um, and that's exciting and it's exciting to be surrounded by all different kinds of, you know, art, artistic expression. So yeah, for sure.
0: And so with your mom and dad being amateur musicians, you always had music. Do you remember a certain style of music that immediately you were drawn to, be it jazz, be it... Uh R&B. It was cla-
1: it was classical music. I grew up in a house full of chamber music. And wow. so, you know, I came out of musical theater and chamber music. I played a lot of you. You started this conversation about a pit orchestra. I actually played tons and tons of musical theater and played as a rehearsal pianist. So oh, I was cool. always uh, I played summer stock theater. I, I did tons and tons of theater. So I started out doing theater and also classical music, chamber music, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, really started identifying as a composer when I was about 20. 13 years old and, um, and really own that identity. Uh, you know, I remember my first orchestra piece, I slept with it under my pillow (laughs) and, uh, you know, like it was very physical, you know, it's like, as, 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 as a child, that's very much the experience. And, um, I think that I, uh, I was very lucky to have a lot of opportunities, so you know I got to go to all different kind of programs and you know study with amazing composers um, and uh, i uh yeah I mean i just I love making music and i um I studied composition at Juilliard I studied undergrad and graduate school there um and uh I also uh, co-founded a multimedia performing group there with Paolo Pristini called Vision into Art, which is super cool. So we did a lot of like avant-garde new music, lots of live electronics, um, lots of that, that kind of stuff. And when
0: you're working now with these different projects, uh, obviously you take your background with you. People choose you for a project because of what you bring to it. When you're going in each project, though, is there a challenge to make it different? Is there more of a challenge to make it Fit what you think the producers and directors want to see where does the biggest challenge lie for you in taking on a new project like this
1: i think that like that's a really great question i think that um composers need to be storytellers and they are a part of this team that is trying to bring to life any story and to bring it to life in a real way. It doesn't matter whether it's a piece of, you know, feminist science fiction or whether it's a piece of like a documentary film or anything. Um, It's about being a member of a storytelling team. And so I think I'm also really interested in working with People, you know, directors like, you know, Don't Look Deeper, Catherine Hardwick, directors who are really open to doing something different, some people who are willing to take some risks and, you know, how can we bring a story viscerally or organically to life? That interests me more than genre, more than style, more than any of those kind of things. What really interests me is like, how far can we go in really crafting a unique sound for a story? And that's why that's what draws me to any project.
0: And with Don't Look Deeper, uh, we mentioned on Quibi as as July 27th, a sci-fi drama. So sci-fi, there's already kind of something outside the box that you hear in sci-fi music. I always think of when I hear think of sci-fi, you can't help but think of John Williams. But then you also think of the Blade Runner soundtrack and things like that. Where does your mind go to for inspiration when you think of composing and scoring sci-fi type pieces?
1: Oh, wow. Well, you know, I mean, listen, there's great classic, you know, famous, wonderful, amazing sci-fi scores. Bernard Herrmann, you know, there's like tons of, you know, Jerry Goldsmith. There's great, amazing music for science fiction. But I think one of the really cool things about this piece is that it's really female. And I think that like that is a whole area in science fiction that I think there's a lot of opportunity to explore. Yeah. Um. And so I. Uh, I, I definitely, like, you know, I've studied conducting my whole life. Like, I love orchestra. I love big orchestra. I love all that. But I also really like kind of, you know, weird chamber music, weird, weird kind of hybrid scores that blend electronics and other elements. And I think for this score, for Don't Look Deeper, uh, without any spoiler alerts, uh, I this score is all about messing with the organic and the inorganic. So it's a real it's a it's a score that's all about not knowing what you're hearing. So I really wanted to make something that was you could not ever pinpoint you couldn't ever be like that. I know what that is. That's, you know, an orchestra. That's a flute. That's a, you know, cello. I wanted everything to have a slight weirdness a slight other otherness to it um so that's the angle in which you know i definitely listened to you know all kinds of wonderful science fiction but a lot of it was an orchestrational thing about choosing instruments and sounds that could go together that felt organic but maybe weren't and vice versa things that were really inorganic or you know mechanical or Hmm. machine like that felt like instruments so it was like that was really my sound world
0: And we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, you're a Grammy winner uh, for your work. Does that raise your own expectations or have you found since you won the Grammy that it kind of raises other people's expectations about your work? Or is it kind of like a little bit of both?
1: You know what? I think awards are wonderful and they're, you, you know, they're wonderful frosting on the cake. I want a Grammy for engineering, for working on an amazing album by my wife, who's a composer, Laura Cartman. And she wrote an album called Ask Your Mama on uh, a poetry by Langston Hughes. And I worked on that as um, and it's interesting because like a lot of the work I do in in shaping sound and, um, you know, it's, there's mixing work but if a lot of it is like sound design and stuff like that yeah. uh that has really bled into my compositional work and my compositional expression um so i also like really take you know, anything I do, if it's a hip hop score, like I've done all kinds of stuff, you know, but it's always coming from the angle of like listening to an orchestra. So if I'm listening to a low 808, I'm listening, like it's like a, you know, a bass and how can I, and how can I express that in the way you might with an orchestra? So, um, yeah, so I would say that awards are like wonderful, but you should never expect them. And if they (laughs) come, they, and I find they're like amazing artists who should have won all kinds of things that, you know, so I think, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, they're always good things. What can I say? I've, I feel very lucky about it, but, um, you know, I'm still the same musician I always have been.
0: And between uh, music department, I'm always intrigued because there's so many different levels. There's a uh, score producer, music consultant, music production. Like you mentioned, uh, the, the other items that there are to be under the umbrella of the music mm-hmm. realm in these projects like that. Is there a certain type of work that you find kind of fills that little itch, your, your creative itch, more than another aspect of the job? We're going to pause right there. Come back from commercial break. Talking more with composer Nora Kroll-Rosenbaum. Stand by.
1: This is Diane Pershing, the voice of Poison Ivy, and you're listening to geek to me Radio.
0: Welcome back to geek to me Radio. This show would not be possible without the continued support of the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau in particular, you might know them from the website I've given you each week since this show started, discoverstcharles.com. Plans are already underway for their Legends and Lanterns Festival, the fifth year, I believe, of the festival. Uh, if you're a fan of Halloween, this is a place you want to go. They've already made plans for, uh, depending on how things are going to look, for COVID in this year, 2020. They've uh, made sure everything is going to be safe for both the people coming to visit the festival and the people working the festival i was in on that conference call and they've taken a lot of steps to make sure it is going to be able to be done but be done safely uh the city of saint charles the convention and visitors bureau want you to have fun but they want to keep everyone safe especially in these crazy times we're living in right now you can go to the website to see more about legends and lanterns also see the other things there are to see and do because there's always something going on in saint charles the website once again discover stcharles.com, as we always say here visit the website, visit St. Charles for an historically good time. Our huge thanks to the Convention and Visitors Bureau for their continued support of geek to me Radio. Before we took our break, we were talking with composer Nora Kroll-Rosenbaum about her work. Scoring Don't Look Deeper on Quibi, and we asked her, with so many hats you wear in the music department, what one of those roles most fulfills you?
1: Composing. Okay. Definitely, that's my main... Composing's my main hat. That's my main... That's my main who i am um but i do think that participating in music making is thrilling and uh i i i feel that way i also feel that way like right now we're living in this incredible time of pandemic and i know some musicians who are really struggling because of course the world of getting together and recording the world of getting together and and making music and performing and all of it it's vastly changed absolutely and um Uh, Laura and I, we co-founded with uh, Lisa Liu and Brad Hanel this amazing group called um, the uh, Unison Orchestra, which is an online orchestra. And um, I'm just sharing that with you because it's this amazing organization now of musicians from all over the world who are from the top orchestras and they're getting together and recording remotely. And um, and I think that, you know. Making music and being able to support yourself making music and having the opportunity to make music is thrilling. And so if you're if you're mixing, if you're composing, if you're you know recording, any it's all important. Every single part of it's important. Um, you know, anytime I work on a project, we're always putting together teams of people who can collaborate and who are interesting and bring something to the table. And don't look deeper, for example. I worked with Tara Stinson who 's an incredible vocalist and she 's a songwriter and her voice her voice is featured in a lot of tracks in the show and um, and that was amazing and that collaboration was so important for finding and digging into the sound of that score so you know I think the main thing is to collaborate with people who, where you speak the same language, where you challenge each other um, and you know where you have the opportunity to fail, and all of that stuff that I think really makes for a good team.
0: And to your point, I mean, the the interesting times in which we live, how many of us would have had a much rougher go had not been for the arts, had not been for creative people, musicians, singers, songwriters, actors who put on all these wonderful projects like Don't Look Deeper. Uh, there's almost no better time to enjoy these things because we can't go out and do as much as we'd like to. But that's where I'm I, for one, am so grateful that there are these projects and the creative people, we've seen the YouTube streams of all the Broadway stars uh, doing different things right. like that. It's it's a great, amazing time, and especially the fact that we had this technology in place during a time. I like know, this.
1: I know, I totally agree, and I also think it like, you know, I think it serves a different purpose. Strangely, it's like like watching a show or a movie or anything streaming it. Uh, it feels different right now um, than it did before. I don't know if you agree, but I think that there's kind of like this vista that we don't all have. Um, because we're not out in the world doing the things we would do. So there's this way in which, like, what was I, I was just watching, what is it? The Indian matchmaking show on Netflix, which I totally enjoyed, but you know, (laughs) it was ridiculous. But at the same time, it was like, my God, like you really feel like you're traveling, you're going places, you know? And I think that like having those kind of experiences right now is more important than ever. And I also think that like, you know, yeah, the like watching people talk from their houses and you know, having those YouTube experiences with people that you might not normally see, that's, it breaks it down. There's a real humanity about it. And, you know, it's exciting. It's good.
0: And with working on a project like Don't Look Deeper, when you went into this, uh, what was it that surprised you the most, I guess, versus what you thought you might be getting into or doing versus the product that came out of it at the end?
1: Huh. I I think that the music... I didn't know what the music would sound like ahead of time. I read the script and I immediately loved it. And I, I think Catherine Hardwick's a total genius. And so I knew that she would make something amazing, but I didn't know ahead of time that the music would sound the way it does. And I think um, I think that was really exciting. I think it was really, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, the, but it was really exciting for the music to kind of grow as the, As the piece, as the show, as the, as the film, as the show is, I don't know what you want to call it, a film, a show, um, as the, uh, this, this series, these chapters, um, as they emerge, the music emerged. So that was, I didn't know what to expect with that, but, um, but that was really exciting. There was a lot of like, aha discovery that took place during the creation of the music.
0: And with you having been now uh, sequestered as well, that the rest of us, is there a show that you've been binging that you recently discovered that you are uh, impressed by or wowed by or glad you found? Oh, like just in life Yeah, in general.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I have so many things, but I mean, (laughs) God, I mean, uh, I would say everybody should watch call my agent like obsessively. I think it's so good. Um, on Netflix, it's in French. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, that is really good. Um, what else? So many things. I don't know. I've just, i am in the middle of watching season three of killing Eve, which I think everyone's oh. seen, but you know, I mean, it's, it's so good and it it's is. so upsetting, but it's so, you know, watching, watching her like, you know, eat a birthday cake. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, uh, it's, 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 let's start there. There's like too much. To t- there's too many things. Okay. There's <laughs> so much good stuff. Yeah. And
0: what other things are you working on now? Are you still uh, just kind of, do you take a breather between projects or do you like to immediately jump onto the next one?
1: You know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to write music always and do all kinds of things. I'm, uh, I'm co-scoring, um, uh, the rescore of Hunchback of Notre Dame for universal with my wife, Laura Cartman. And that's super fun. Um, so that's crazy to, to work on a project where you have, that was created in 1919. Yeah. Uh, and now it's, way way long gone but of course you don't have any of the production issues of the covid pandemic right. so um so that's crazy so i'm like deep in quasi land but i will say that you know the thing about don't look deeper is it's really an identity piece and i think that that is a, a you know strangely connective to uh hunchback of notre dame which is also an identity piece i think um so i don't know i think uh i think that all of these projects that we do are never quite what you expect. I think it's easy afterwards to say oh that's this and this is this but but when you read a script and ideas jump off the page, you don't quite know what it will be. And I think that's thrilling. And I think, um, you know, and don't look deeper, the idea of the body and the breath and breathing and, you know, the skin and all of the things that make up our kind of physical biology, they strangely ended up as part of the score. And that Hmm. was this like really weird head trip. And so I, I take away from that experience that, again, you don't know what to, you don't know what what something will be until you have the experience of participating and creating it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and this was definitely, you know, Catherine Hardwick really gave me permission to go out and that was really awesome. And so I think like, likewise, like now scoring, you know, a 1919 silent film that has 104 minutes of music. It's like, you know, I don't, there I don't have a living director, but I do have the opportunity to, you know, do something that might, you know, you can't pretend that it's not 2020, but um, but at the same time, it's like it's a it's a pretty intense experience to then jump into a big silent film. So, um, yeah, it's 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 all good stuff. What Very, can cool. I say? Very cool. Very uh, cool. Yeah.
0: And yeah. where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Website, uh, social media, where can people look for
1: you online? I'm really, I'm really easy to find because I have this like long Jewish last name. So <laughs> Nora Kroll Rosenbaum is my name. And, you know, basically you can find me with my name as a as a URL. You can find me on uh, social media, all of those things. So, you know, hit me up. I'm always excited to meet new people and collaborate And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for, for don't look deeper to get out there and I hope people will check it out because it's, it's not what you would expect. And it's also like a super feminist piece of drama, mystery, science fiction. I don't know where to, what corner to put it in, but, um, it's really cool. So that's the best kind
0: of projects that check a lot of boxes. (laughs) I think that's great.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? I agree.
0: <laughs> and we should say again, Don't Look Deeper will premiere on July 27th. New episodes premiering every weekday until August 11th. Nora Kroll yes. Rosenbaum, I appreciate your time today. It's been a delight to speak with you. It's been a delight to speak with you, too. Thanks. Be well. You, too. My thanks again to Nora Kroll Rosenbaum. Uh, lovely to speak with her. And I hope you check out Don't Look Deeper on Quibi. We're going to take our next break. Come back. Start chatting with actor Neil Hopkins. Stand by.
2: I'm Wesley Shipp,
0: and you're listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. We're going to dive right into our next guest. Right now we're joined by actor, writer, producer Neil Hopkins, a bevy of TV and film credits to his resume. Uh, We're going to be talking about Stargirl, of course, and we'll get into some other stuff while we have him. Neil, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? Doing well, doing well. A very exciting that you just got renewed for a second season. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it is exciting, especially at this crazy juncture in our in our industry and in the world at large. It's uh it's nice to have uh something in the you know money in the bank in, in terms of uh the renewal because a lot of a lot of shows have gotten canned.
0: Yeah. No, it's been hard and a lot I know a few shows that were airing had to cut their episode run a little bit short because they hadn't gotten all the way through but luckily i take it you guys filmed everything you needed for the first season well in advance of this covid happening
2: yeah we were done in september so it's coming on a year that we wrapped
0: wow and any uh any idea have they given you any indication now that you're renewed when you might be safe to come back and start filming season two
2: no i have no idea no idea you know they're gonna have to obviously write the episodes first and that's gonna take a while um hopefully I'll hear something in the next month in terms of some sort of a time frame. but who knows? Everything is, I mean, our, our business as a, as a rule is uncertain and <laughs> constantly in flux and uh, you can't count on anything. Yeah. And uh, this, is, um, this has only made that, uh, accelerated that.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. But at least you've got this season two locked in to look forward to. That's gotta be, I guess, a, a light at the end of what appears to be now a very long tunnel.
2: Yeah, it certainly
0: is. And I love hearing about the casting for shows. Uh, You've got such a great cast all around, uh, just from top to bottom. When you went in to audition for this, they probably didn't tell you it was Stargirl. Did they give you an idea of the character type? Did you audition for someone different and end up getting Sportsmaster? If you could talk a little bit about the casting process.
2: Yeah, so it was on tape with the casting director, which most things are these days and it used to be in the old days you would meet the producers and you'd meet the director or whatever. Um but the last several years it's largely been like you go into a casting office with the with the casting director and and uh and you and you do it and then they work with you or not and and then you never meet anybody and then you get the call that you got it, um, sometime later. So that's, that's what happened with this. Um, I knew it was a show called star girl, but I had no idea what star girl was. And, um, I knew it was a Berlanti show and it was going to be a DC comic show. So that was really cool. And, um, cause I've watched the flash and arrow and those other Berlanti shows. And, um, the, the role did not say Sportsmaster. um, and uh, it, it was, it just said, I think his name was Scott Miller or something like that. And uh, and the, so the sides were, one of the sides was the scene where I meet Pat in episode one in the garage. And that was uh, pretty much the way it was written was the way that we did it. Hmm. um, with the names changed. And, and then there was another scene that, that unfortunately it was a good scene, but it, it didn't end up in the show. Cause sometimes what they do is they get the writers to just write audition sides, you know, to try to f- see a certain aspect of the character. Yeah. And, um, so they, they did that. And, uh, yeah, I went in and I, and I read it and, uh, it was just like, you know, I had two other auditions that day. I didn't think too much about it. And, uh, and then like, I guess a week or two, I can't remember later, I, I found that I got it. Now this was in the fall of 2018. Wow. This was a long time ago. Yeah. And it was originally supposed to start shooting in January, but then it didn't start shooting until the beginning of March and then it went six months. So it was a, it took up a, like a, a good year of my life, um, in a good way, but it was, uh, it, that's unusual. That usually doesn't work like that. Um, yeah, so so then I found out when they when they made me the offer uh, that it was they gave me the the uh, they call it a deal memo and they your agent forwarded it to you and and it said you know Larry Croc Sportsmaster and I was like what that's not the guy I read for what is this <laughs> you know and then I googled it because I didn't know who Sportsmaster was and uh, I mean I could lie and say I didn't but I did but I I didn't I didn't I had did, never heard of Sportsmaster. And, uh, and I looked it up and I, I was just like, I was really excited. It was really cool. like to get, that was, there's a lot of surprises in my business that are not good surprises. (laughs) There's a lot of, there's a lot of surprises where like you thought you were going to get one thing and then you got something much smaller or less. And that's, that, that's what you come to expect. And so it's great when it's like a surprise that's like, oh wow, this is way bigger than I thought. And that was really exciting.
0: And obviously, this is a character who's been around. Uh, Sportsmaster made his debut in All-American Comics number 85, 1947, as an original yeah. adversary of Green Lantern and Wildcat. So it's obviously, uh, I love the fact that they are paying such homage to the Justice Society, which is this Golden Age group that has kind of seen a resurgence uh, because Jeff Johns did a series on it. When you got the part, you knew who you were going to be. Did you do much research? Uh, did you kind of read other comic books? Did they kind of give you some assigned reading? How did that go? And we'll pause right there and get the answer to that question from Neil Hopkins, Sports Master himself. Stand by. Hey, this is Dave Desmalchin. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. And we're back. Geek to Me Radio uh, brought to you by Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. I know you're missing the movie theaters. COVID is uh, just taking its toll. I know a lot of you, I've, I've seen messages from you. You want to get back to the movie theater. Obviously, Marcus wants to reopen. We want to do it safely, we would want to do it smart. And uh, for those of you who are still leery of going out there offering the movie experience at home, you can go to the website marcustheaters.com and get a whole bunch of goodies sent to you through the mail. They'll send you a ginormous bag of popcorn, movie-sized candies, and all sorts of other goodies you can enjoy to kind of make movie night at home. I've already done this a few times, and it was a welcome reprieve from (laughs) self-isolation kind of helped me feel a little bit more normal it was great so thanks to marcus theaters for that you can go to the website kind of see what else is going on stay apprised of which areas might be opening up soon and how they're doing it masks will be required obviously uh social distancing will be enforced we are trying to kind of work back and find a way to live with covid for right now hopefully things will start getting back to normal soon And this will all just seem like a time when we didn't get to see movies as often as we would like. But luckily, Marcus Theaters is at the forefront of all that. They're looking a way to do it safely. Check out the website, marcustheaters.com. Make sure you take advantage of that movie night at home package that I mentioned earlier. And you'll be very, very glad you did. Our thanks to Marcus for their continued support of Geeks Me Radio. Before we took that break, we were talking with actor Neil Hopkins, and I'd asked him, when you're working on Sportsmaster, this character has been around since 1947. What kind of research did you do, and uh, how was the character development process? So Joy, uh, who plays my wife, uh, Tigris,
2: uh, we, we got invited to come in a few weeks after. We got cast to meet uh, Jeff and to meet the writers and James Robinson. and We went into this office in Burbank, and, uh, and, and they gave us this uh, comic, JSA, The Golden Age. Um, and, uh, and so we read that, uh, I did research just on the history of Sportsmaster and all that kind of stuff, but this was a different version of Sportsmaster. Right. So I didn't feel, didn't feel beholden to, you know, um, uh, you know, to, to the re- there are certain things where like, you got to get it right, but this was, uh, this was Jeff John's version of Sportsmaster and it was different than the other versions of Sportsmaster And I was the first person playing it in terms of a live action thing. Yeah. And, um, and so I didn't feel the need to, uh, to really base it on anything except my conversations with Jeff about the character. And, and, uh, um, you know, there's just, there's sometimes where you just nail the character and you don't even, it's just a layup, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't require a tremendous amount of, uh, effort and, uh, and research and learning. And then there's other times where that's not true and you have to really deep, do a deep dive and, you have to learn an accent, or you have to learn a you know physicality, or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so I, I this was definitely his version, Jeff John's version of Sportsmaster, and it's great. It's a great version, and it was all on the page. So I was I was really just basing my choices on um, our conversations and on and on what he had written.
0: That's got to be very freeing because obviously. Uh, While it's an established character, like you said, it's not a particularly, I'm going to say, well-known character as opposed to Stephen Amell, who had to play Green Arrow. You've got a character you can really kind of make and shape your own since this is the first live action version. So as an actor, I would think that'd be a little more freeing for you.
2: Yeah, it's really it it takes pressure off in terms of that. I mean, you still obviously you want it to be you want it to make an impact because Sportsmaster is kind of a deep cut, as I was saying to Jeff and uh you know he's he's not a super well known like a tier comic book villain um but i guess it's the show young justice over the past several years he's become a more popular kind of a badass version of of uh of of the original sportsmaster and um you know with the hockey mask and all that so um I did. I felt free to, uh, to make it my own. And, you know, Jeff was really adamant that what I did in the audition was what he loved. And so, you know, you don't want to, when someone tells you like, no, 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 you got it. Like, <laughs> You don't want to mess. You don't want to mess with that. You know? Sure. So sometimes it's, uh, it, it's just that, you know, it's sometimes it's just that easy. I'm not saying like it was easy, but like sometimes you don't have to reach a lot of times, you know, I feel like, Oh, this I, I got to do a lot more work and I got to do, you know, I'm not doing enough, but this was one of those times where Jeff's like, no, 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 this, you got this. Um, and, and it's hard to trust that, but you know, sure. uh, but you know, Jeff was very much involved in the whole process. So it was just cool to be like, okay, the big guy likes me. I'm not going <laughs> to, if it ain't broke, don't fix
0: it. Right. And I love that the show has, um, I'm a TV and movie junkie, obviously. That's why I do this particular type of show. Um, I feel like it's got almost a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type feel, but it also fits so perfectly well into the established Arrowverse shows. It's got to be, I guess, as an actor for you, rewarding to have this show been so well received by the fans And I haven't, you know, I search social media for stuff. I really haven't seen any negatives about Stargirl from the cast to the writing. It seems like you guys have come in and just hit it hard and fast. And it's been gangbusters from the go.
2: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. You know, we've gotten good reviews and we've gotten, you know, I'm a big fan of the A.B. Club and they love it. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Um, Because A.B. Club is one of those... uh, one of the places that i read a lot of reviews because I think they write pretty thoughtful reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's just very exciting. You know, it's, uh, you do a lot of stuff as an actor that doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, and it doesn't work as well as you had hoped and et cetera, et cetera. And this was one where it's kind of exceeded expectations,
0: you know, and um, that's
2: again, always a good thing.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, of course, this uh, as we're recording this conversation, this would have been San Diego Comic-Con weekend 2020, and obviously COVID struck and canceled all the cons, understandably so. Had, was there originally any plans for a Stargirl presence at SDCC?
2: I'm sure there would have been, no doubt. Um, and it's a bummer because I've always wanted to do that. I mean, when I... One of the reasons that I was super excited about getting this part was like I love stuff like that. I love conventions. I love fan stuff. You know, the fans that you get from you know comic book stuff, sci-fi stuff, fantasy stuff. It's just uh, the geek world is it's awesome. It's it's like the most dedicated devoted, um, enthusiastic fans you're ever going to get. And, uh, so it's really a gift to get, to get into that world. I can't wait till things go back to normal and we can do cons because, uh, you know, I just, uh, I love my character. I love my work in the show. I love everyone on the show and, and I'm really proud of it. So I'm excited to like meet people in person. People have been very supportive online and uh, people really like my character and they really like what I'm doing and they like uh, joy and, and the, the relationship that we have on the show and it's it's really cool. It's cool. People make fan videos and fan art <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and I just love that stuff. I can't get enough of it.
0: And you're no stranger to TV and film obviously shows that you've been in uh, they're on the geek list leverage Grim Bones, True Blood Castle obviously lost and I think it's kind of uh, fitting if I'm not mistaken, you got your start on a DC show with birds of prey back in 2002. Yeah. So it's almost like you've come full circle back to the DC universe, I, which is great.
2: Exactly. Yeah. My first ever guest star on a TV show. Uh, when I first moved to LA was birds of prey um, on the WB, the now defunct WB. And uh, I believe it was on the WB. Yeah. And uh, cause it was a Warner brothers show. <laughs> and played this uh uh, villain that could walk through walls called the specialist i think he was called the specialist and uh and the cool thing about that like it was a double cool thing was that the guy that had directed that episode is a guy named sean levy who is like the ep on stranger things
0: yes that's right um
2: yeah and so i that the first director i ever worked with was sean levy and he was super cool. And he was just directing an episode as a favor to a friend because he had already gotten into movies. He had done, like, Big Fat Wire with Paul Giamatti. And yeah. he, was, he was, like, prepping for Cheaper by the Dozen. And uh, so he had already become, like, big time, you know. And he was directing this episode just as a favor to his buddy who was a producer on the show. So I just got to work with this guy that, like, went on to much bigger and better things. And, uh, it was fun. It was, you know, you never forget like your first, your first foray. And it was, it was cool.
0: And you've worked with, obviously we mentioned the TV shows you've done. You've worked with so many people throughout your career. Is there anybody you haven't worked with who's on your bucket list of, I got to work with this director or this particular actor? Is there anyone you're just, uh, you really want to get into uh, a project with? And again, we will pause for a commercial break. Come back. Talking more with actor Neil Hopkins. We'll even play celebrity. This or that. Stand by.
1: I could get used to this.
2: Hey guys, this is Echo Kellum, aka Mister
0: Terrific, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back. Wrapping the show up. Our final section finishing our conversation with actor, Neil Hopkins uh, asked him about who is on his bucket list of people to work with.
2: I, I mean, there's a, there's, I have a huge list of people <laughs> that I want to work with a huge, I mean, I would love to work with Scorsese at one point. Yes. Um, there's a lot of these people that are getting old and I'm like, Oh no, yeah. just hang on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, you know, the thing about this business is exciting is you just, sometimes you, you see, you have certain people that you want to work with that are a fantasy and, and things change so quickly, you know, it could seem something that seems totally out of reach could just fall on your lap. And that's just the way it works. And so I try to hold out hope for stuff like that, but I'd love to work with Scott I'd love to work with Sean Levy again. You know, I'd love to, the, you know, the Duffer brothers. Um, and, uh, I'd love to work with, uh, Rob Thomas, who, uh, um, the guy that created, uh, Veronica Mars.
0: Yes. Nice. Um, zombie, yeah.
2: And, uh, and, 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 uh, what what was the show that he had on encore that was so good i'm suddenly blanking um about the cater waiters oh oh, cater oh oh waiters. yeah
0: um gosh my wife and i watched that oh. and now i'm having i'm struggling to think of the name
2: i know too i, I want to say waiting but of of that's that that's a
0: movie it's not that that uh
2: now, here i am i'm saying i'm a huge fan of the show and i can't <laughs> remember the name of it but i remember it so clearly cuz i um i auditioned for veronica mars years ago and and Ralph thomas was a huge like he called me up after this audition and uh and he was like oh my god that was so funny i love i love your work and and uh, i want to i want to work with you i'm writing a a a character for a future episode and uh and it's going to be great and we're going to give you a call Didi bradley who was a cast director will call you and i was like oh my god you know that never happens and then uh and then i was like they were about to book me on it and then he ended up giving it to paul rudd Uh. the character that i was gonna play and i was like are you kidding me uh who i love i love paul rudd i mean who doesn't love paul rudd but so i never got to work with him. and then you you know you you, these people certain people will get excited about you and then they get busy and they forget and then so i've always wanted to work with him again um and, uh, there, there, there's so many people, um, so many people that I'd love to work with, uh, actors, writers, directors, um, and, uh, but Scorsese is definitely at the top of the list. I've always wanted to work with Scorsese. I've been a huge Scorsese fan since I was in high school, um, when I first saw Taxi Driver and Goodfellas. And, yeah. you know, oh. I, I, I've just, I, have I've just like, that's one of the, I wanted to work with Robert Altman, It was one of my favorite directors, but unfortunately he passed a few years ago. Um, so that that that's not gonna that happen. I don't think. <laughs>
0: well, you never know. They could always bring them back in uh, the way they're doing things now with actors and putting them in uh, like they did with a Peter hologram? Cushing. Yeah, you never know.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> weird. That's, that's really weird. I heard there's gonna be some James Dean movie.
0: That's what I heard. Yeah, like, a little weird, but
2: very weird. But obviously interesting. I want. I'd like to check out how that works
0: these are bizarre times we're Um, living in (laughs) uh for sure and they only get weirder yeah and and talking about actors i know uh you do and have done a pretty good christopher walken impression from what i'm told
2: i i do i haven't i haven't done that one in quite some time but when i first broke in to uh to acting around the time i did birds of prey i uh I got this short film that my friend Phil Waterinsky wrote and directed called walk and talk. And you can, I think you can find it on YouTube where I played this guy who is so pathologically obsessed with Christopher Walken that he only can talk to people in lines from Chris Walken's movies. And, uh, and this was kind of before like the walk impression became like way overdone and everyone has one. And, um, but it, it was, it was cool. I rode that wave for a little while. We got to do some festivals and, <laughs> And it was it was fun, but uh, yeah, I I, uh, that was kind of like my little uh, ace up my sleeve when I first came to the business because you gotta have something, you gotta have some tricks, you know, that you can that you can whip out that like in in an audition. I can't say how many times I go into an audition and 'cause I have it on my resume, they'll be like, "What would Walken say about this part?" And I'll do (laughs) you know, scene I'll do the scene as Walken... And they always crack up, you know, and then and I don't get the part. <laughs> and uh. I'm like, Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> so happy I could give you free entertainment.
0: Right. Was that was that a thing you just kind of developed or do you do other impressions? And was that just the, the one you did seem to do the best or I, how did you fall into it? That was
2: the one I did it was the one I did the best at the time and uh and I've gotten more into doing Pacino um since then. Pacino's like, you know, the one I get obsessed with certain impressions at certain times in my life and I'll suddenly discover I can do a voice and uh, you know, like i for a while I was in David Lynch and you know, he talks very much like this, you know? <laughs> if you if you watch it and you think about it, you need to catch an idea. And I got really <laughs> into doing that and then and then I got sick of it and then I got into Pacino and like old Pacino. You know, like, uh when he talks like this, you know, when he started, when he got to be about, like, in the 90s, he started doing, like, this weird, like, southern accent, you know? <laughs> when he was in sensible of a Woman, and, and he would talk like this. And and uh I also, I tried to work on, like, an early Al Pacino, because he talked very differently if you watch him in The Godfather, you know, than yeah. he did, than he does now. He's become, like, walking a caricature of himself, kind of, as their voices get more gravelly and... uh but um yeah so i love doing impressions i love finding like i I just as a like thing i do for my myself and then i got into this deep fake thing and i posted a couple of them on instagram but uh, where they there's this app called impressions or something like that where you can like deep fake people so if you can do the voice it's it's really fun
0: Hmm. and i know you've got a couple of instagram accounts you're on twitter and instagram we should mention at neil e hopkins (sighs) You've got a second Instagram yeah. account called Hopkins underscore art. And you, you do, is it, uh, is it paint is your medium?
2: Um, colored
0: pencil and drawing more, but,
2: uh, I do, I do some painting, but I'm, I'm a better, I'm better at drawing than painting. I always have been.
0: Is that something you got yeah, into so just I, for the love of it to help kind of relax? Is it kind of like a, just a, a side thing? What, what kind of art I do you do and a, why?
2: I was an artist before I was ever an actor, oh, wow. long before. And yeah, um, and uh, funny story. Like I was um, speaking of comic books, kind of wrap it all around. Um, when Batman came out in 1989, you know, Tim Burton's Batman, my friend, my best friend at the time, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, was a guy named Jack Dorsey who went on to create Twitter. Oh, that guy. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, that guy. And uh, he and I were obsessed so obsessed with batman and as so many people were and I, we went to the movies together to see it like i think it was like nine times that we saw it in the theater and we got it got to a point where it was like we had to lie to our parents and say we were seeing something else <laughs> and then we would like we would buy tickets for like the abyss and then we would sneak into batman to see it for the eighth time and um he and i were artists and we would sit around for hours and draw comics and we were into Batman at the time. So we would sit there and we would buy, like we were really into like Frank Miller's the dark Knight. Yeah. Sit yeah. there and, and, and just copy that artwork, you know, for hours and hours and hours, we really wanted to be cartoonists. And so I got started like, you know, as, uh, in terms of like my artistic life, you know, I, I do a lot of different things. I do music and stuff. And, uh, it, it, that was where like, my first passion why and you know i was really into and i and i loved comic books and i just loved buying them and copying them hmm. and you know that's i think i think that's how a lot of people actually learn different styles that we used to buy mad magazine and we would copy uh, Mort drucker who was our favorite oh
0: yeah and
2: uh you know he was actually and um he was that guy was just a phenomenon i mean he was nobody nobody is as good as him and um so we love doing caricatures we love drawing comics and all that kind of stuff and and uh that's how i got into drawing i mean i drew since before that but that's when i got really like passionate about it and then took some art classes in high school and took an art class in college and i just always did it on my own i was kind of self-taught um for the most part but uh it's just something i do on the side i i do commissions of I did a, a series for a friend of mine who was really into Stanley Kubrick, and I did a bunch of uh, Kubrick uh, pictures of uh, different movies that were his favorite movies. So,
1: hmm.
2: you know, it, it's it's not something I do a lot, but it's it's something I get in and out of like throughout the year when when uh, when I get hired to do something, and you know, it's 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 so much work, frankly, <laughs> that like it's it's hard to get, and it's very messy. So it's like you gotta really like be motivated, you know yeah. what I mean?
0: So, has COVID helped with that motivation, or has it kind of hindered the artistic motivation?
2: Uh, I've been into music during this. I've, I've been making an album, and uh, so I haven't barely. I, I did one drawing in the beginning of COVID because, of course, you know, like a lot of people, I was like, all right, I'm gonna use this opportunity to like you know hone a skill or learn a new language or whatever uh i didn't do that but i did i did i made like songs that's really cool so i've been wow. doing a lot of, of so not so much drawing i haven't been drawing my wife's been trying to get me to do these paintings for our house uh, for the long time i just procrastinate procrastinate for uh, literally like years sometimes <laughs> um that's just the way that's just the way i work whatever i have to work on I don't want to work on whatever I yeah. don't have to work on suddenly becomes my thing
0: you know I'm the exact same way I, I completely relate I think that's part of the creative mind though
2: you can't- I think so too um, but it's very frustrating for people when, you're, when people are like expecting something they frustrating for them <laughs> you
0: know? and and with all these other projects, you've got uh, obviously Stargirl Season 2 coming up. What else are you working on? Is there anything else that you have out that will be concurrent with Stargirl or uh, something that we can watch for you for in the interim while we wait for Season 2?
2: You know, it's been really dead, um, you know, since the pandemic. I've just Auditions are just starting up again. I just got an audition today, and uh, it's all on tape. Um so in terms of like upcoming things, you know, I'm just I'm just waiting for things to kick back into to gear and find some sense of normalcy, but it's just I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um but uh I did this movie in the fall that that uh a horror film called Portals, it's like an anthology film um that I think recently came out on DVD. I'm I'm terrible at remembering stuff like this, but um that's kind of a a, a fun um anthology movie about like three there's like three different stories within one um my friend liam o'donnell wrote and directed the sequence that i was in so um i'm just waiting for things to get back up i've been working on an album and uh i'm i'm uh just just trying to keep my sanity it's not easy with two kids being stuck in a house for four months right uh, very challenging so stargirl's been really cool to have like because my kids actually love watching it my daughter in particular is a huge fan she's almost 10 and she loves it and it's like the episode will end she's like oh no i want to <laughs> see the next one which is really cool because i've been on a lot of stuff and none of it's been really appropriate for kids so right. it's, it's fun as a parent to get to be on a show that is uh <laughs> that's you know appropriate for my kids and uh and they got to come on set last summer and and watched me film a, a little bit of a episode 12. So it was really cool. They got to see the robot. It was, it oh, was neat. fun. It's just fun to, as a father, it's really fun to be a part of a show like this, you
0: know? I can imagine. And uh, before we let you go, we're going to play a quick game called celebrity this or that. I basically ask you your choice between two different things and you tell me which one you like the best. Obviously there's no right or wrong answer because your answer is the correct answer. If I were to ask you dark chocolate or milk chocolate?
2: Oh, milk. Ugh, dark chocolate's disgusting.
0: And horror or comedy?
2: I like Okay, this is lame, but my my favorite genre of all time is comic horror, like Sam Raimi.
0: Okay, like so Evil Dead, I yeah. To,
2: I have to I have to hedge on that answer
0: all right that's that's fair uh peanut butter in in general
2: though in general i like i like comedy better because most horror films are terrible Gotcha.
0: okay uh peanut butter crunchy or smooth 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 star wars or star trek
2: i've never seen star trek star wars
0: and for vacation mountains or the beach
2: well i would say the beach Cause we live near the beach and it's been a lifesaver during this pandemic uh, because it's some of the only like outdoor activity we've been doing. So beach all the way.
0: There you go. And again, you can follow Neil on Instagram and Twitter at Neil E Hopkins uh, on Instagram yep. also at Hopkins underscore art. And you've got your YouTube channel where they can just search for you there. Uh, this has been a fantastic talk. I love the show. Love what you've done with the character of Sportsmaster. Neil Hopkins. Thanks very much for your time today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. That was fun. That's going to do it. My thanks once again to both my guest composer, Nora Kroll Rosenbaum working on don't look deeper. And of course, Neil Hopkins, you can catch him as Sportsmaster on the DC universe and the CW's show star girl. Thank you again, as always to Joey V making the show sound as good as it does. And for keeping the show literally running, I appreciate everything he does. And if you're, going to keep watching shows to keep watching a toy store near you on youtube and on amazon prime from the creators of the toys that made us that's going to do it so until next week my friends Thank you, Blue Valley, Nebraska. Good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of geek to me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geek2meradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... Click through from geektomeradio.com first.
1: The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing?